Good morning and welcome to everyone. We're so glad that you're here with us at Midway today. So thankful that you've chosen to, to be with us. If you're a guest today and looking for a place to worship and serve God, we're looking for you and we want you to be a part of our family here at Midway. You know, some, uh, one of the things that people dread the most today is a diagnosis of cancer. It's such a hard thing. So many people have suffered through it. Some have been able to beat cancer and live long lives. And so that's what we pray for when people have that. But cancer is one of the most dreaded diseases that anyone could have today. Sixty-five years ago or so, one of the most dreaded diseases was polio. And many of you may remember all of the things that are related to polio and how that people would suffer in regard to polio. It would cause a problem with the legs and people would not be able to stand. While we were living in West Tennessee, there was a lady who was a member of one of the congregations down in Jackson, Tennessee, who had been living in an iron lung for many, many years. She just passed away, I guess, a couple of years ago now, but uh, she, she suffered with that for a long, long time. You go back beyond that, about 120 years ago, tuberculosis was one of the things that people dreaded. You know, you still have TB uh, skin tests and things done today, but back in that day, you know, people dreaded uh, uh, having a, uh, a diagnosis of tuberculosis, and so it, in, it too was a bad thing. You go back some 500 years and the bubonic plague was one of the things that people dreaded. Sometimes it's called the black plague and people did not want to come in contact with anything that was uh, related to the bubonic plague. But then you go back to the New Testament times and even beyond that and one of the things that people dreaded most was leprosy. You know, when you hear the word leprosy, you may be like me, especially when I was growing up. People would talk about leprosy, and you would think about it being a, a skin disease and how that there would be sores. But in reality, leprosy, now called Hansen's disease, is something that not only affects the skin, but more uh, accurately, it affects the uh, nervous system. And so, you know, it will begin and cause uh, nerve damage. It will usually begin in the peripheral parts of the body and then eventually will spread. But it would cause nerve damage. And, and some of the symptoms would be that there would be this curling of the hands and, and loss of sensation and sometimes even complete loss of feeling so that when a person got some kind of sore or when he bumped his leg or hit his arm or something like that, you know, and caused a, a, a sore, then uh, they didn't even realize it. And back in those days, the antibiotics and things that we have today to treat those kinds of, of injuries were not available. And so a lot of things would happen. The disease itself would eventually uh, begin to decay the skin and things like that. And it was a very, very dreaded disease. It would not only affect the skin, but it would also affect the voice. If you remember in the Bible, the uh, Bible talks about how that uh, the one who was a leper was to call out, unclean, unclean. But we might not even recognize how they would do that because the larynx itself would be affected and they would have a, a very raspy voice. And so, you know, a person who was listening would know that there was something wrong with that person who had leprosy. And we also know that leprosy was spread by either a sneeze, a cough, or a touch. And it's no wonder then that people in the Bible were told that they were to live separately. 
And before medical technology even learned about germs and, and viruses and all of those kinds of things, God told those who had lepers to cover their mouth, to cover their nose, so that they would not spread the droplets that would cause other people to be infected by it. It was a very, very bad, terrible thing for someone to contact the uh, disease called leprosy. But as we think about our lesson this morning in the book of 2 Kings chapter 5 at verse number 1, Grant read this for us, but let's look at it one more time. The Bible says, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. I want you to look at that. I want you to think about it this morning. I want you to think about this man that the Bible is talking about. Number one on the list, we understand the Bible says that Naaman was a great military hero. Uh, as you look at that passage, you understand that the Bible says that the Lord caused Syria to be able to have a victory because through him he delivered some into his hand. What is probably referenced there is what we read about in the book of First Kings, chapter number 22, when the Syrian army came against King Ahab and, and was able to defeat him. And, and so God doesn't tell us specifically that is the case, but as best we can tell, that's what it's having reference to. God had given him the Israel over into the hand of the Syrians because uh, of this great military leader. And so the Bible acknowledges that. He has, he has that to his credit. He is the leader of the army. He is the commander, if you will, of the army, the, the head general of the army of the king of Syria. And so we note that notoriety, we note that fame in regard to that. But not only when we're thinking about this particular man, Naaman, not only is he a military hero, but we understand that Naaman is highly regarded. He, he seems to be highly regarded by the king. He is in high favor with him, according to what the passage tells us there in the book of uh, uh, 2 Kings, chapter 5, verse number 1. But I believe that Naaman was in high favor not just with the king and not just because he, he was a great military leader, but I want you to look at another part of the reading here. Again, Grant read this for us. It seems that Naaman himself was in high regard even with his own slaves, with his own servants, the Bible says. Notice verses 2 and 3. The Bible says, Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. You know, if the little girl did not, if she did not have high regard for her master, she wouldn't have cared whether he lived or died. But it seems that she, has, she holds him in esteem, even though she has been taken away from her homeland and been made a slave in a foreign land and made to work for someone else, probably against her will. She still seems to have compassion and have hold this man in high regard. And she says, I wish, I would, it's my desire. If, you know, if I could have it my way, then I would connect him with the prophet of God that's over in Samaria. She wanted him to be healed. 
But I want you to notice something else in the same passage here in regard to, to Naaman and his servants even and the high regard that they held him in. When you go on down to verse number 13, you read basically the, the, uh, the, the uh, passage that has to do with our question today, but I want you to notice the first part of that. But his servants, that is Naaman's servants, his servants came near to him and said, My father, my father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. How did they address him? They didn't address him as master. They didn't address him as Lord. They didn't address him as, as boss. They didn't address him in those kinds of ways. It seems that they had enough esteem. He had enough esteem in their eyes. And they had enough regard for him that they addressed him as my father. The Bible says a lot in a little space, doesn't it? It doesn't take much space to, to fill up the things that if we would study and mine the nuggets of gold that are there, that we can understand. The Bible tells us that this man, Naaman, was highly regarded, not just by the king, but it seems by everyone else who was surround him. But not only do we find that Naaman was, was a military hero and highly regarded, but we know also that Naaman was rich. He was a rich man. Again, as you think about what the Bible says, it says simply that he is a mighty man of valor. And we might take that in regard to his military prowess or things like that. But in this case, the words that are used seems to be referring to his great wealth that he had. You know, you might ask the question, what would a person give in order to be healed? You know, what would we pay? How much would we give the doctor in order for that doctor to cure us of whatever it is that we have? And in this case, Naaman, of course, had leprosy. What was he willing to give in order that he might be healed? Now, we know according to verse number 5 of 2 Kings chapter 5, if you're following along in your Bible, the Bible says, And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went... Now notice what the Bible continues on. He went, and what did he take with him? The Bible says that Naaman took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. I don't know about you, but when I read that, that doesn't mean a whole lot to me, unless I dig and try to do a little study. Because I have never paid anybody with a talent, and I've never paid anybody with a shekel. I, I've always paid with dollars or, you know, something uh, of the equivalent. I had some money in the Philippines that was different than our dollar bills. And so that doesn't mean a whole lot to me when I just read that casually. But if I translate that into values that I understand, I begin to understand some of the wealth of this man. The Bible says again, notice that, that he had silver, but how much did he have? He had ten talents of silver. Well, I looked up the price of silver, and I determined the, the, the weight, and that's what a talent is, determined the weight uh, of the talent and broke it down into grams. And as of last, uh, I guess it was Tuesday or Wednesday when I was working on this lesson, uh, whatever day the ninth was, that value of silver that he carried with him 
would have been equivalent to $194,796. That's a pretty good paycheck, isn't it? But he also carried 6,000 shekels of gold. And on the same day, I looked up the price of gold. I broke down the weight of the shekels into the ounces and, and, and uh, grams. And you know how much gold he carried with him? It would be equivalent to about $3,348,565. And that's what he carried with him. He's going over there. I want to tell you something. He was serious about being healed. He was taking this money with him in order to buy his healing if that was necessary. And not only that, but the Bible says he carried with him ten changes of clothing. And probably, again, according to the wording that's used here, rather than carrying him ready-made suits or something like that that we would think about, the idea seems to be that he would have carried with him ten rolls of cloth probably some expensive cloth that, that he would have used. And so many garments could have been made out of those ten rolls of cloth. It's no wonder that he would have carried ten rolls of cloth if he's carrying three million dollars, three, three and a half million dollars with him to pay the doctor bill. This man seems to have been rich. You say, well, maybe he got it from the king. I don't know about that, but I do know what the Bible says. In 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 15, the Bible says, Then he returned to the man of God. This is after he had been healed. He returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know there is no God on, in all the earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. That's what Naaman said. I'm giving you the present. That's what he's trying to get Elisha, the, the uh, prophet, to take. Elisha wouldn't take it, and we understand, you know, we, we can read the story, and he would not take it. And there's another guy who comes along and says, hey, now, wait a minute. You know, he goes and catches him and tries to, tries to get all of the money, but that's a whole different story when we talk about Gehazi. But that's what he brought. Naaman was a rich man. A rich man. He's a military hero. He is a man who is highly regarded, and he's also rich. But the Bible doesn't stop there telling us about Naaman. Naaman, we might even say, was a good man, but the Bible says that Naaman was a leper. Naaman had leprosy. In the book of Leviticus, chapter number 13, we realize that there are several different diseases that, um, that are termed leprosy in the Bible. But it seems that Naaman had one of the severe ones, enough that, that he would be willing to give about three and a half million dollars in order to be healed from it. He knew that it was something that, that was really, really bad. But you know what? Regardless of his fighting skills, his fame, his favor, and his fortune... Naaman was still a helpless leper. None of those things that he had could bring him a cure. Nothing could cure him from the leprosy that he had. Here's a helpless man. He's made a name for himself. He's treated people right. 
he's earned a good wage, a good living, acquired a lot of wealth in this life, but he's sick. And he can't be cured. And it seems nobody in Syria was able to do anything for him until this little servant girl says, I wish he could go over. I wish he could be with the prophet that's in Samaria. And so the little slave girl, as we think about her, she is one who brought hope. She brought hope to this man. That's verses 2 and 3. She she tells her mistress, she tells Naaman's wife about the, the prophet and his wife evidently tells Naaman, but according to verse number 4 of 2 Kings chapter 5, Naaman went and told the king. He went and told the king, his buddy, his friend. The Bible says, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And then in verses 5 and 6, the king of Israel, or Assyria, said, I'll send a letter. I'll send a letter. I'll, I'll, highly, I'll recommend you. And he sent that letter. And you know what he asked in that letter of the king of Israel? He said, I've sent, my ster- my, sent to you Naaman, my servant, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. That's why he went over there. That's why the king sent him. I, I, there, there's hope. We've conquered you. We've carried slaves back. But there's still hope. There's still hope over there in that place. And I want you to heal my servant. I want you to heal him of the leprosy that he has. Now again, referring back to the, to the little slave girl that the Bible ta- calls a little slave girl. The little servant girl that was carried captive and served as a slave in, in Naaman's house. You know, she is probably one of the most excellent examples of being an evangelist that you'll ever find. Isn't that what an evangelist is? One who is willing to share a message, a message of hope, a message of good news. You know, everyone is dealing with something that's challenging in his or her life. And if you aren't suffering through something like that right now, chances are you will. Just give it a little bit more time. We go through those things. We have the ups and downs of life. And when the time comes that we're going through one of the worst valleys that we've ever been through, we really don't need sympathy or empathy. We really need hope. We really need hope. All of us are sick with sin, and and you know what? You know what we need? We all need hope to overcome the sin problem, don't we? That's what it's all about. We need that hope. But you know what? The hope... The hope that this little girl talked about did not lie within man. It wasn't the man who could make Naaman well. In 2 Kings chapter 5 at verse 7, the Bible says, When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? The king of Israel said, I don't have the power to do that. It's not within me. I I, I don't have anything. I'm a king and I'm recognized as a leader, but there's nothing that I can do in order to cure this man's leprosy. And he's worried about 
the king of Syria just trying to pick a fight with him because he sends his servant over there with leprosy. And when, when the king of Israel says, I can't do anything about it, uh, he's, gonna, he's just going to use that as an excuse to come and attack us again. That's what he's worried about. But understand what I'm saying this morning. The king of Israel knew that he didn't have the power to heal this man. He couldn't find, Naaman couldn't find a cure in Syria and evidently anywhere else. And it wasn't like he was poor. And the only hope that he had was in Israel. And he had taken this trip down to Israel and, and he's hoping for it. And, and now this king is saying, I'm just a man. I'm not God. I can't heal you. But then we find verse number 8. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he said to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to see me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. A prophet. What kind of prophet? A prophet of the true and the living God. You see, our only hope is found only in God. That's the only hope that Naaman had. It wasn't in the king. It wasn't in a man. It wasn't even in the prophet. It was in the prophet of God. The healing came through God. Our only hope today to cure the sin problem even that we have is only in God. And I'm so thankful He sent His Son that we might have that hope. But you know what? As we think about the prophet of God, we know that that prophet of God brought healing to this man. Naaman does indeed go to Elisha. The Bible says in verses 9 and 10, Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But it's the first part of the next verse that really, you know, is the kicker. Beginning in verse 11 but Naaman was angry and went away saying, and then he tells what he's going to say. Here's a man who is angry. He's angry. Elisha didn't even come out there and talk to him. Elisha just sent a message out there. I've traveled all this way. I brought all this money. I'm, I'm ready now to be cured. And the man, you know, I go to the king. King says, I can't do anything about it. Elisha says, send him over to me. And then Elisha wouldn't even come out and talk to him. It's like going to the doctor's office and them sending, you know, somebody, uh, some uh, uh, tech or something out. And you, you handle it. And so Elisha, this important man, he became agitated and angry. And he left. He stormed out of the doctor's office, if you will. He left. And then he said, if you continue reading, he said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. You see, Naaman had already decided what the prophet should do to cure his leprosy. Elisha said, I want you to go and dip in the river Jordan seven times and you'll be cured. And so Naaman, he gets agitated and angry because he didn't come out there because he has, he's already decided, he's seen what the 
people over, the healers over in his land do. They come out and they wave on it and they call on their pagan gods and they, they, they have all these incantations and spells and all kind of things that they do. And I thought, surely he's going to do that. He'd already decided in his mind how Elisha should cure him. And when Elisha didn't do that, he got mad. And then he started making excuses and started trying to justify himself. You remember what else he said? Abana and Farfar, you know those rivers over in Syria? He said, they're more beautiful and they're more clean and they're, you know, they're a whole lot better rivers. Why can't I just go over there and wash? Why can't I go over there and dip? Got to go over there to the Jordan River. It's either muddy because it's flooding or it's only knee deep, you know, those kind of things, depending upon what time of year it was. Why can't I just go over to Abana and Farfar? He'd already made up his mind that Elisha should heal him in this way, and then he started trying to justify why he would not listen to Elisha. Isn't that the way people are sometimes, especially in in our world today, in the religious climate that we have? People hear preachers and and others talk about salvation and, and maybe they've heard their parents or some good friend or, or, or maybe it's been their experience in life as they were growing up to go to a certain um, denominational church or a certain kind of way of doing things and, and they thought that's the way that everybody should do it. That's the way God accepted everything and that's the way God wants it. That's what Naaman was doing. I've already decided in my mind how this should work. And it didn't work that way. God didn't tell him through Elisha the prophet to do what he thought needed to be done. That just was not the way it was going to work. And so we come to our question this morning. You may think we're still on the introduction. We're not. We're going to wrap it up here in a few minutes. But the New King James puts it this way. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said... My father, if the prophet had told, told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean? You know, we think about that. If there were some big deal that he had told you to go do. You know, you, you are a great military leader. You're a strategist. You can, you can figure things out. If he had given you some great battle to fight, would you not have gone and fought it? Would you not have done that? Why don't you do what he said? My father, why don't you do what he said? If you're reading from the English Standard Translation, it's worded just a little bit differently. And there the Bible says, His servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? Indeed, it was a great thing that Elisha was telling him not just to go get in the river for seven times, to dip in the river seven times. The great thing was that you are going into the river, a leper, and when you dip seven times, you will be clean. That was a great thing. And so when you put the two translations of this, uh, this wording together... It seems that, that, that they're asking about a great thing, but they're also referring to the fact that what Elisha had said really was great. And if you'll go and you'll do what he says, 
Has he literally said you'll be clean if you do this? Yes, he has. That's what he said, and that is a great, great thing. You know, like Naaman, we're all sick today. Every one of us. I'm not talking about physically speaking. There's some who are physically sick. Going through things today in, in, in this audience, they, they're, they're people who are going through different ailments, healing in different stages and going through treatments and things of that nature. But what I'm talking about this morning is being sin sick. You see, we have cancer of the soul. We, we have been paralyzed by the polio of trespasses. We struggle to breathe through the tuberculosis of transgression. Uh, the bubonic plague of wrongdoing is destroying our hope of eternal life. You know, we can go through all of those dreaded diseases back through the years. And our leprosy this morning called sin has left us with the great need of healing. And only God has the cure. You know, it's really important for us to remember that God is God and we're not. God is God and we're not God. And, and, and not only that, but God doesn't always do things the way we think He should do them. God doesn't work according to our time schedule. God doesn't work according to our agenda. God doesn't work according to the way we think things should be done. I think sometimes we forget who is the Lord and who is the one who is to submit to the Lord. Don't we? When we try to put our own thoughts and our own way of, uh, of thinking things should be done in God's place. The Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 5 at verse number 14, So he went down, and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. You, you see, Naaman submitted to what Elisha told him to do. And when he did it, in the way that God told him to do it, he came out like a baby. His hands weren't gnarled. The skin wasn't coming off. The, you know, I'm sure he had feeling back in his feet and arms and legs. He was just like a baby again. He was healed completely. He was cured. It was gone. In the New Testament, we find a case much like Naaman. We find a man who was sick, but not physically sick. A man who was sin sick, just like we are this morning. A man by the name of Saul. The Bible talks about Saul in the book of Acts chapter 9. I want us to pay close attention to verses 10 and 11 where Paul and Saul is telling his story, he said, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. At the house of Judas took uh, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And what is Saul praying about? Well, on the way to Damascus, you, you remember the story of how the great light shone down upon him. Saul was blinded. He actually had a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus told him to go on into the city and there he'd be told what he must do. And he's waiting there, been there three days, and he's waiting and he's praying and he's still blind. 
the Bible says that God sent another man, Ananias, to him. What did Ananias tell Saul when he got to him? Well, among other things, about healing his eyesight and so forth, he tells him in Acts chapter 22, verse 16, And now why do you wait? Rise, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. What did Saul need more than anything? Well, you say he needed his eyesight. Yes, he needed that. But more than anything else, even his eyesight, he needed his sins washed away. Somebody might say, why would I ever want to be baptized? Why would I ever want to do what Saul was told to do? Well, in the first place, the Lord commands it. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, Go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. You know, many folks want to, want to be saved by simply making a confession. Or, or they want to be saved by going to a mourner's bench and saying a prayer. Or, or, or they want to be saved in some way other than, than, than being doing what God said. You know, they're a lot like Naaman. They've already decided in their mind what they need to do in order to be saved. They've already decided how God ought to cure their sin problem. I'm going to tell you this morning, it won't work. Just as it would not work with Naaman, it won't work with us. I'm here to tell you today that if Naaman had stayed away, you know, he got mad and he left, but if he had stayed away, he would have walked away and stayed a leper. He would have gone home a leper, and he would have died a leper. Would he not? No other hope had he been given. To be healed, Naaman had to be obedient to what Elisha the prophet of God had said. And you know what, this morning, if we want to be saved, if we want to have our sins washed away, if we want to have that cure of sin, then we must be obedient to God. In order to have those sins washed away. You know, when we come to God, we've got to come to Him on His terms. If we want to be saved, according to what we just read in regard to Saul, we must be baptized. Like, like Naaman, so long ago, he was dipped seven times. We're to be immersed to meet the blood of Jesus Christ, which washes our sins away. If we had time this morning, we could look at a number of passages of what baptism does. It's for the remission of sins. It's to save us. It's to wash away our sins it's to be reborn into the new life. It's to clothe ourselves with Christ. All of those things and more. But I want to close this morning with a thought from the book of Luke, chapter 4, verse 27. And I want you to think about it. In Luke, chapter 4, verse 27, the Bible says, And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. Now, that's when Naaman was alive. Naaman, of course, was in Syria. The Bible says there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. 
None of them was cleansed. You've got many and few. Actually, many and one. Isn't that what the Bible predicts? Isn't that what Jesus said, that many will go down the wide and the broad way? And few would travel down the straight and the narrow. Good friends this morning, if the Lord had commanded you to do something great, would you not have done it? In reality, just like he did Naaman, he has commanded you to do something great. And that is to have your sins washed away in baptism. It's simple. It's understanding. If God had told you to do some great thing to be saved, would you not do it? It may be this morning that you know that you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins. What would stop you from obeying God. It may be that you've already done that, but your life has not been lived in accordance with the Word of God. And you need the prayers of the church. You need to come home. If we can assist you today in any way, why don't you come?